0: Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Excellent. Um, God delights in you. That's a good message. I think we should just maybe just think about that for a quite a long time. And maybe I don't need to say anything else. But what an amazing thing to believe and to know that God delights in us when we make mistakes. He delights in us when things don't quite work out like we thought they were going to. Last week John was saying to us, or reminding us of the scripture that talks of not going up from here unless your presence go with us, O oh God. Lord, let us not go up from here. That has to be the thing. It's him that makes the difference, that stops us becoming uh, a kind of social club or a, some other organisation. It's His living being working amongst us. The Bible says that that God inhabits the praises of His peoples of His people. When we gather together, we become the place that God lives by His Spirit. And there is something amazing about being part of a church. And uh, we we kind of grow accustomed to that grace. We kind of grow accustomed to that's what it's like. On the way here today, I passed a a man getting some uh, stuff out of a blue bag, about to put it between some paper and set fire to it. And I don't think it was tobacco. And as I walked past him, I thought, what a shame that that is what you are looking for uh, enjoyment from. That life could become so unbearable that you have to kind of support yourself with something artificial. When God's designed us to live in his presence, to be with him. Last week, um, God reminded me of this song, and we're going to... Probably come back to it at the end. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take and every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. That's where I want to end up this morning. That's where I want us to, to get to. And, uh, and uh, I believe that's where, that's, that's where we're going to finish. But on the way, we're going to have a bit of a journey. And I want to share with you something. Well, first of all, I've got this story from Acts 5. Some of you know, um, I've been listening to the Bible in one year, and I've got as far as Acts now. Uh, that doesn't sound like I've done very much, does it? But it's the way it works is you have a bit of Old Testament, a bit of Psalms, and a bit of New Testament, and so on. And I've got as far as Acts. And, uh, and of course, Acts is like the gospel of the, of the Holy Spirit, really. Uh, when Luke wrote his two books, he wrote two books. He wrote one about Jesus and one about the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And, um, and anyway, so as I was driving to work, I was listening to... Um, Acts five, verses twelve to forty-two, and I was, I was um, brought up short. Do you know what I mean by that? I was kind of arrested by, I was made to think by what I was reading or what I was listening to in the story. Now I just want you to, I want you to remember that the Acts of the Apostles comes that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They all are together in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they start to do these wonderful things. Often we think that, that when God is on our side, everything goes well. Well, I just want to read you this story. So, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place amongst the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So first kind of thing to think about. Nobody dared join them, but multitudes were being added. That's always a kind of good one. But this was happening to such an extent that they even carried the sick out onto the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. So when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall onto one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinities of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean cities, and they were all being healed. They were all being healed. Sounds like they're getting quite a lot of stuff right. That sounds pretty exciting. I'm I'm on their side. I'm thinking this, this is the kind of church I want to be part of. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. That's not quite so good, is it? They put them in jail. And, uh, but during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the gates of the prison and taken them out. He said, go and stand and uh, speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. So... They've been healing everyone, they get arrested, they're in jail, God sets them free, they come out, they start doing exactly what got them in trouble in the first place. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought, but the officers who came didn't find them in prison. They returned and reported back, saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened up, we found no one inside. I mean, that is a laugh, isn't it? Can you imagine doing that? That's pretty, that's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. <laughs> I suspect they didn't say, oh, I'm greatly perplexed. <laughs> I think they may have been a bit annoyed. Anyway, so this happens, and... Uh, and they say they get a report, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with his officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. When they brought them, they stood them before the council and the high priest questioned them. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name and, uh, and yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and in turn to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the Apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. How many times do you find yourself doing something, genuinely, when you're getting in trouble because you believe it's what God's told you to do, and others are telling you it's not the right thing to do? This is a question. When we walk with the Spirit of God... There will be times when we do things which other people tell us aren't the right thing to do. Peter went on to say, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on the cross. He's the one who God exalted to his right hand as a prince and saviour to grant repentance to Israel, the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. So, they get arrested, they get told to stop. Now, the next bit I'm going to skip, but if you want to follow it, you can read it, uh, verses 33 to 39. There's this whole bit where one of them has, one of the prosecutors has this cunning idea. He says, look, don't get bothered by this. He says, look, there was this other fellow who caused a lot of trouble, And we could have got upset about him, but he's gone away now. Then there was this other fella. He did a lot of stuff, and now he's gone away. So these guys, hmm, they're not going to cause that much trouble. If they're from God, hmm, you know, it will carry on. But if they're from man, it will soon fizzle out. Basically, if they're from God, there's nothing we can do to stop them. So they took this advice, they say, and after calling the apostles in, and this is the bit I don't like in verse 40, they flogged them. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the shame of his name. And every day, and every day, in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. I was on the way to work and uh, and I just hit the third set of temporary traffic lights and I was getting a little bit annoyed with the fact that my journey to work was taking a little bit longer than normal and I read this bit about the the way that they responded to the situation they've been doing nothing wrong They've been doing nothing wrong. They've been healing people, for goodness sake. They've been telling people about Jesus. They've seen many thousands come to them, and even the people that are prosecuting them decided, well, we can't really do much, but we're going to flog them anyway. Do you ever find yourself saying, God, why have you allowed that to happen? If you're really there, if you really care about me, that thing wouldn't have happened. But what do we find here? We find that they've been beaten, they've been flogged, and they rejoice. You remember before I was talking about um, battles and victories? If you, can't, if you don't battle, you can't know a victory. If you don't struggle, you don't know a victory. The bigger the struggle, actually, the greater the victory. The only thing that's definite is our victory, actually. Well, and the struggle on the way. Sorry, those are both... But the destination is fixed. God has decided that we will be victorious. And I was struck by the fact that the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong in them that even though that stuff happened in their life, they were rejoicing. Now, I've read, read it before, and, I, and and it just but it just made me think if my experience of God if my awareness of him if my infilling of him was a patch on theirs how would I respond when stuff happened in my life? How would I respond differently when stuff happened in my life? So All of this stuff happens, but they still rejoice. Um, You know, what things happen that annoy you in life? This was a slide that I found extremely difficult to fill, okay? (laughs) Red lights. (laughs) The one-way system around Ilford Town Centre, that really annoys me. Queues. Parking spaces. Going to um, Romford Hospital, what's it called, Queen's? and you don't know if you're going to get into the car park or just have to kind of leave your car somewhere over in home base, buy a pot plant or something and stick it in the boot and quickly peg it across the road. Um, Who gets annoyed by their children or their partner? (laughs) Or just other people, frankly. (laughs) Appointments getting messed about. Oh, we've this plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it this way. No, nope, we're going to do it that way. Other people being late. Um, technological malfunction and my phone died. That was quite annoying. Um, unreturned tools. Okay. My steam stripper is somewhere in this church. I'm just, I'm just saying. A steam stripper is a device for getting wallpaper off the wall. I'm not sure what Anthony was thinking about, but Claire's going to talk to him later. <laughs> so, um, you know, how do you respond when, when kind of... when stuff happens? And I thought about this, and I thought, well, that's an interesting phrase, and it stuff happens. Did you know there's a whole card game, apparently, called Stuff Happens? Now, I didn't know this, but... Um, there is a variety of things you get and they've all got different scores so you know no cell phone signal that's 13.2 falling down a flight of stairs 22.5 pepper spray in the eyes 26 um, a paper cut my daughter got a paper cut this week at school and decided to send me a picture of her finger with a later with a plaster on it and I said well, what happened and she said I got a paper cut and I'm thinking do I need to know that you've got a paper cut <laughs> Fall asleep on the beach, get third degree sunburn. Uh, you know, water slide into an empty pool, that's quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to read the rest, I'll just let you think about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the point is, here's the reality, here's the reality, in our lives there's a lot of stuff that happens that we probably would like not to be there Um, and you know, if, if we're in a battle, it's more likely that stuff will happen. We can't keep going unless we have the Holy Spirit to help us. And the Holy Spirit is here, not just for a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Wonderful though that is. But I believe God has far more for us to experience than we currently know. It's not so much about... uh, It's not so much about uh, the more and more baptisms, it's actually, there's something wrong with our understanding of how we're supposed to be connected with the Holy Spirit. Um, I remember one time, or I remember, you may not, um, I remember talking about uh, being prepared and we talked about the wise and the foolish virgins who, who were waiting for the bridegroom and some had got spare oil and some hadn't and of course the bridegroom comes and, uh, and only some of them can go. And Jesus says, this is what it's like to be for you. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. I'm coming back, and you need to be ready. Um, I like to play that kind of roulette game with my car. Like, I let it run down. And it's never really quite convenient to go to the petrol station. But once the light starts to flash, I know I've got to go. But there is a weakness with this analogy. God hasn't designed you with, like, a tank. He's, He's designed you... Um, he's designed you to experience a stream of living water coming from within you. He's designed you to know his presence all the time. So we don't have to go to some special place to be filled up. But rather, he's designed us to be in intimate connection with him. So that whether we're in someone else's front room or our group, or we're just brushing our teeth in the morning, or we're stuck behind the third set of temporary traffic lights between here and Woodford Green. Uh, Whatever whatever the position we're in, God's designed us that we should have access to him. Not, Not just a part of him, but that we should know him closely and fully. In Ephesians 5... Paul talks, it, Paul talks about it like this. He says, um, So be very careful, then, how you live. Not by, like, unwise, but wise. Making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living, but keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I picked the International Standard Version just because it translates that a bit more accurately for us. Most, if you look at the NIV, I think it just says, but be filled with the spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. But the thing is, we don't really use it as a tense very often, but that phrase there is present imperfect, which means it's something you're doing and hasn't been finished yet. So, um, if the boy was walking along the road... In the past, he was walking along the road and he hasn't got to the end of it yet. But if the boy walks along the road, he's got to the end and he's finished doing the job, right? Being filled with the Spirit sounds like it's just something we need to do one day. And then we kind of, that's it, done that, and we move on. God's designed us that we should keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, Then you'll recite to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and you'll sing and make music to the Lord with your hearts, And you'll consistently give thanks to the God of our Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. Consistently give thanks for everything. That kind of goes with that attitude to stuff happening, doesn't it, really? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can consistently give thanks for that child that's really irritating you. Sorry, I don't know why I just looked at you, Ben. My eyes just... My eyes just locked, just then, just, just then. Um, we can consistently give thanks. Uh, and, I mean, just this morning, I was, I was talking to God about my journeys to school. And I was thinking, what a fantastic place I live in, that I actually have choices about the route I take. So, you know, I've got lots of temporary traffic lights in this direction. I go this way, and the Lord has led me through Ilford Town Centre. I've not been there for... Oh, months, probably. <laughs> and I get out the other side as fast as I can. No. Um, so, oh, yes. So, so God's designed us to be, keep on being filled, all right? In the Middle East, there are two seas. There's a Red Sea and there's a Dead Sea. And apart from the fact they sound the same, like their names. Um, The Dead Sea is completely lifeless because it's full of salt. The Red Sea is full of life and people fish there and and so on. The difference is the Dead Sea has no outflow. It's landlocked. The water flows in. It doesn't go anywhere. So over the hundreds of millions of years that water's flowed into that place, all it's done is collected there. Some water's evaporated and left behind the salt. Do you remember that? Separation of mixtures, everyone. Just, do you remember you do that bit of science there? So it leaves behind the salt, and it just gets more and more concentrated and disgusting. And in fact, it's so amazing, you, can't, you can float in it amazingly, but there is no life in that lake. You're designed to have an outflow. You're designed to have an outflow. We are designed to be leaky. We're designed to leak, and through imperfections. And in that leaking... Actually, we give life to things around us. I'll show you, there's a story about that, I'll I'll tell you in a minute. Right, why do we need to keep on being filled? We need to keep on being filled because uh, we need to be witnesses, to be witnesses. um, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In that Acts 5 story, we see absolutely no question whatsoever about those guys' faith. Even though Peter is the one who's denied Jesus, even though he's the one who really messed up, at this point, he's standing there facing a flogging, and he's saying, this is the guy who's doing the healing. It's not me. His is the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the power. So we need that to be witnesses. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will witness. We will give testimony. We need to keep on being filled to walk free from the power of sin. Um, in Galatians 5, there's quite a few scriptures here from Galatians 5. We read, um, Paul writes, But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That's an action, right? Um, you don't sit in your chair and walk by the Spirit. It's, an, it's a moving on. It's a keeping in step with. Which brings us to... Him producing fruit for change. The Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is only one fruit. There are many gifts, but there's only one fruit. None of us can expect to only receive one of those gifts, one of those fruits. Sorry. I'm not a very joyful person. I've got nothing in my life at the moment to make me joyful. In Acts 5, the guys are joyful after they've been beaten senseless. (sighs) Stuff is not going my way. That appointment I expected to be this week has been put off by six months, or three months. But I'm joyful because he lives in me. I'm joyful because he loves me. I'm joyful because he sent his son. I'm joyful because he... He delights in me. And he laughs at my efforts to try and fix things when I would only just let him have his way. Not only does he allow us to step free from the power of sin, we can expect to be able to put sin to death. So we can finish it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So we need him to, to do that, to, to change us, but we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Again, it's about an ongoing infilling. Now, I'm probably saying a lot of stuff you feel like you know. And... Uh, in a moment, I'm going to look at some of the reasons why we kind of don't live like this but i'm just going to, a couple more why we need to keep on being filled he helps us to pray when we can't in romans Paul writes um, that as i shared last time we don't know what to pray but god helps us with wordless groans he's the spirit himself intercedes for us he prays for us why do we need to keep being filled well because he empowers complete transformation we're going to be transformed into the likeness of his Son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Where does that image come from? It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit that works in us to change us into the likeness of his Son. And you know what? We never know it all. The Spirit is what leads us, is who leads us into all truth. Jesus says this in John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. There is a a big problem we have the longer we've been walking with God, and that is our security in kind of our own strength. It's a, it's a history, it's a fact of history that many people who were on the front edge of moves of the Holy Spirit ended up not really moving in the power of the Spirit later. John Wesley was thrown out of the Anglican churches and became, founded the Methodist movement because of speaking in tongues, because of moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. On his deathbed, he regretted having brought that. Don Wesley did many, many great things. But we have to make sure that we keep in step with the Spirit because it isn't a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It is, meeting with him is, a, is something we need to do. And we need to surrender. And we need to accept that we don't know it all.
1: A water bearer who had two large pots. He carried water to his home from a well, which was a long distance away from home. But there was a problem. He hung the pots from both sides of a stick, which he carried behind his neck. But one of the pots had a crack in it. At the end of each long, tiring walk from the well, he arrived with the cracked pot only half full. This went on for several years with John delivering one and a half portions of water to his home. The flawless, perfect pot was proud of itself as it was able to serve its purpose without errors and of course the pot was ashamed of its imperfection and was miserable because it was only able to accomplish half of what it was meant to do. So one day, as John rests at the well, it speaks to him. It said, I am ashamed of myself and I want to apologise to you. I have only been able to deliver half of my load because this crack on my side causes water to leak all the way back to the house. Because of my flaws, you have had to do all this work without getting the full value of your efforts. John smiled and replied,
2: Have you not noticed that there are beautifully flourished flowers on your side of the path that we take and not on the side of the other pot? That is because I have always known about your flaws and I planted flower seeds on your side. And every day for all these years, you've watered them. I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to degrade my home. So without
1: you being just the way you are, there wouldn't be such beauty to grace my home.
0: You know, we can spend a lot of time worrying about our cracks. Um, uh, This is based on a Chinese uh, story. We can worry a lot about our cracks. But you know, Paul writes, it's his strength is made perfect in my weakness. When I think I'm leaking, (laughs) actually, I... The Holy Spirit is a precious thing. He's a precious one. And he gets spread into the people around us. And others see him at work in us, even when we're struggling. And our Holy, the Holy Spirit that we have in us gets spread into the places, the communities where we are, into our places of work, because of our weaknesses. We might need to receive more Holy Spirit because we leak it. But that's okay. Okay. We may leak the Holy Spirit, but God's, that's part of his design for us. So if all of this stuff is so important and why we need to receive the Holy Spirit, why do we avoid it? Why, why do we find ourselves in these places of dryness? Well, I had a little think about this. This, this slide wasn't that hard either um, to come up with, but here's some thoughts. I think sometimes we can get distracted. Sometimes they can be really, really tiny things. I don't know, maybe it's a new hobby or something. I don't know. But something can be a really, really big thing. And there's a really big thing. Maybe it's your health suddenly flares up. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, an issue for one of your children at school. Something flares up and it becomes so big, it, it kind of occupies your vision. And we have to fix it. But actually, God wants to be able to speak into that situation. Waiting for the Holy Spirit can be a pretty inconvenient thing. We might want to just keep on going and see if he turns up. Actually, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the power comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. Sometimes there are points in our lives where we actually need to wait. We actually need to wait. It's been interesting in our group, I feel... um, last couple of times we've met we've taken some time to just wait um, without necessarily without a content, without necessarily me knowing quite what I'm going to do next which isn't quite normal I know but God wants us to wait on him another thing that can get in the way um my pride if my focus is on my family or my ministry or my gift rather than the giver rather than the one who my family belongs to it can be fairly scary trusting the Holy Spirit what if he doesn't show up what if what if My plan for a group this week is we just wait on him and nothing happens. It'll be an hour before I get my chocolate mini roll and nothing will have happened. (laughs) I'm being a bit flippant, but that's a real thing for a leader, to leave enough space to say, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, we're going to be twiddling our thumbs. Uh, sometimes it's about not being in control because surrendering rule in situations means that we might not get what we think we want. I put it like that because actually in all things God is working for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and will. And actually sometimes we don't get what we want because actually what we want is not what we need and it's what's best for us. But if we want to just keep on getting what we want, then we can just keep on going our own way, and we'll soon dry out, and we'll soon get tired. Sometimes people don't get tired. Of course, the psalmist writes about the the evil people that get everything that they want. And sometimes we feel a bit like that. It's not fair. Look, I'm trying to follow you, Lord, and I see my my, uh, friend from work, and he's getting promoted over me. Why, why, what have I done wrong? I'm just glad I'm not in Acts 5, because I would be being arrested and flogged. I think that's worse than not getting promoted. You know? And I get upset, you know, we get upset about things like that. But actually, Lord, you chose me. You delight in me. What more do we need? We can sometimes start things in the spirit and end up keeping things going in the flesh. The Galatians did this. And uh, we kind of keep on going our own strength faithfully, faithfully. But sometimes it's good to let things die. Because when a seed dies, the parable tells us that when a seed dies, you get many more. And sometimes your hope, your dream, needs to actually fall to the ground in order for you to receive the inheritance that God has for you. And we're trying sometimes to hold on to what we've got. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing, um, following something called Thy Kingdom Come. And there was one video I want to share with you this morning. I talked about there sometimes being things that get in the way of us connecting with God. Um, and, uh, and this was a, a prayer uh, movement that our group decided to get involved in. And we've just been, we've been praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to come uh, over a kind of 10-day period but part of a nationwide thing. It's led by, um, started by the Anglican and Catholic churches, actually, but it's in t- that's not really important. What I want you to see, because it's supported by a whole breadth of churches now, what I wanted, you to sh- wanted to share with you is this particular story, which really, really affected me. And um, it's a couple that have a very large thing in their lives that might well have put them off connecting with God.
3: We're gonna walk in the room and we're gonna say hello to the young man who killed our son.
2: And as, as he was about to go out, he did something he'd never done before. He kissed me in the forehead and told me he loved me. Little do I know they're gonna be the last words I'll ever hear from his mouth. Then 21 in the morning, my doorbell rings. But instead of Chris and Phil, there's two policemen. They say, Chris has been involved in a fight. He's seriously injured and need to get out to the hospital straight away. When we got to the, the hospital, I asked Phil what happened. He said, Christopher came to his shop. He worked in t- another piece of shop. And there's has a piece of laugh and a joke. It's about 12-ish now. And Chris said, Shall we get a minicab to Jill's house? Phil said, No, let's walk. It's a lovely summer's evening. Then as they're walking further down this road, they're coming towards a hill. They're coming the opposite way of the hill with 14 boys and girls. Out of their head and drinking drugs, more drugs and drink. And as he, as he got closer, they opened up to let him through. Philip went through first. The youngest one wanted respect from, from his friends, punched Philip so hard in the face his nose ended up on his cheek. The pain was so severe he collapsed. Two boys started stamping on his head. Christopher went to save his brother. There was a bit of a fight. They backed him onto his main road as they're fighting. Another coward got behind him. They got him on the floor until penalty shots to his face and head. Then a woman shouted, the police are coming. They all started to run, and the girl went to get Chris out the road, and the oldest boy said, leave him there. By saying that, it became murder. So they all ran, left Chris. A car came over the hill. He saw Chris in the road. He swerved around him. Another car came behind him. She had no time. She ran over him, the bell caught in her exhaust pipe. She dragged him 40 metres down the road. And at 20 to 4 in the morning, when you see the doctors, the police, and the hospital chaplain, when they walked in the room, their faces told us, Chris died that morning because one 15-year-old coward wanted to respect from his friends. We're taking to our friend's house, and in the car, I turned to by and I said, you know what, as Christians, we're going to have to fig- forget the boys that did this.
3: Getting in the car... Ray said we might have to forgive them oh boy i'm i'm hitting the roof i'm screaming don't talk to me about that what i was really doing was hanging on to the rage and the anger and because i thought it was going to give me power over them at the time it felt good What I realised later is, it's not good, it's destroying me.
2: Then we had to go to court, didn't we?
3: Yeah. That was the worst, uh, knowing that you're going to actually see these young men that, killed, that did this to Chris.
2: So one boy pleaded guilty, I think it was GBH. He got a £100 fine, £200 cross for breaking his glasses. The other three were charged with murder. I looked at Vi and I said to her, look around, there's no winners. As far as I'm concerned, the only winners in the case are the lawyers. There's no winners.
3: You know, you realise over the time that if you don't put the blast of poison down of unforgiveness, you just keep drinking it and it destroys you. Ray always said to me, Vi, they can't have the rest of my life. I won't let it. I won't let them do they that. They took
2: Chris and I'll taking me. It's coming to their term of coming out of prison. So we'll meet them when they come out of prison. So no one can say they're meeting us to get time off. We paused in the car park and I turned to him and and went, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to do this? It
3: felt quite bizarre. <laughs> we're going to walk in the room and we're going to say hello to the young man who killed our son.
2: The handle goes down and then he walks. And The first thing I noticed, he had a shirt, tie, suit, polished shoes and haircut. That's respect. So I just got up and, come here. He walked over, put his arms around, me, whispered thank you. He you then know, looked the at by like a baby and said, May I, didn't
3: he? May I hug you? <laughs> yeah, come on in. 26 years old, not 15 anymore. And, and he still looks like this little boy. And, and so I give him a hug and I say, Hey, young man. He went, What? Well, I said, We forgive you. Move on and have the future. Have the life Chris can't have. So yeah. I've learned now to put the glass of poison down. But sometimes, just sometimes, like we go to his grave, I'll pick it back up again and I'll get angry. And you probably can hear it in my voice. We get angry. So we've got to keep putting it down. That's the legacy. That's the ripple effect they've left in our lives that we've got to keep doing this. We can't all go back and change the past. We can't, Chris won't come alive again, but we can all change the future, can't we? We can get better. We get to move on a bit, you know? Chris used to say bad things up and just get on with it, Mum. Well, that's exactly what we do now. We live our life the way he wanted it, yeah. That's the best.
0: So I, um, <laughs> sorry, it just affected me again. So I watched it and I just thought, oh my goodness, what could I do? Would I do that? And I thought, oh, that's pretty, pretty extreme. God, how could you understand what they've been through? And then I had a thought. God knows exactly what they've been through. God knows exactly what they've been through. And here's the thing, that when we struggle to forgive people, we have a father who knows what it is to forgive. And he can help us when we, do, when we can't move on. And that's why when we get to these blockages in our lives, we have to take them to him. Whatever it is, it won't be, as, I hope, as big as that. But whatever blockage it is, we have a choice. We can turn aside from him and try and keep on getting on. Churchill used to say something else, but I'm not going to say that on the tape. I'm looking at Daniel. We can keep on messing on, keep on pushing on. But actually, God intends for us to, to move on to carry on living the life that he has given us. And he's given it for us for a purpose. And I just really encourage you that if you have some big deal in your life to get dealt with, God does not want you to be stuck. And it's not that you're not good enough. And it's not that he doesn't understand where you are. He absolutely does. And he absolutely has the answer. So, the original scripture I gave you about being filled with the Holy Spirit, don't get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get drunk on wine? Somebody tell me? You drink it, don't you? Yeah? So, it's not terribly complicated. We need to drink. We need to drink of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that we're all made to drink of one Spirit. And Jesus said, anyone who comes after me, in John chapter 7, let him come to me and drink. When I see a situation like that one that we've just seen there, there are countless people, was it three people died yesterday in London? There are countless mothers and fathers going through their kind of agony without God's help. But God's designed us to be those that can reach out to them and not excuse the behavior of others. But He wants to heal our land. Jesus said, He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow streams or rivers of living water. So we do it by how do we being, How are we filled? We drink. it. How do we get to drink it? We set our minds on, on things above. We we turn to Him who can who the giver of good gifts. We don't look for the gift. We turn to Him. We set our minds on Him. We need to deal with any blockages don't settle down for what you have. You know, there's a saying that the good is the enemy of the best. You know, what we experience now, I am so grateful for my experience of God now, but I know it's not enough that if I were beaten senseless in the prison, that I'd be going away rejoicing. That is not, that's not my experience of God. I can get cross with him when very small things go wrong. When Jesus talked about being the vine, he said that apart from me, you can do nothing. There is something powerful about meditating on his word, causing it to to dwell on it, causing to dwell on it. Praying, being present in the presence. When we pray, don't say prayers. Be present in the presence. Acknowledge him. Draw him into where you are. Like we did this morning with, with Phil. You might find worship helps. You may find, so, making use of the means of grace available, things like music may help. When Saul was troubled in mind, David would play to him and he would feel better. There is something about worship and worship music that helps us, but it's never, it's never a, it can never be the same as fully meeting with the living God. So we have, to, we have to do both. We've already talked about unforgiveness. Don't see your poverty as a reason to not get involved and to bless others. Like the leaking pot, as we give out, the Father will refill us. As we give out, we give out of what we've got and give thanks. And finally, we need to ask. Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? to those who ask him. It's not quite the same as wine. You can't just go to a shop and get a bottle, you know, or a bag with some weed in it. That's not, that's not our God. Our God is a living person to whom we come and we spend time with. And, and so we need to ask him. And he will give the Holy Spirit to those of us who ask. So we need to drink and pray, we need to drink and we need to pray, and we need to drink and we need to pray. So, excuse me. So I feel we've got an opportunity this morning to, hum, to come to Him afresh. to come to him afresh and, and, and really give him your heart again. You know, there isn't, it's not magic. It's, it doesn't get more complicated than surrendering your life to him. It doesn't get any easier either. And the trouble is we can surrender our life to him and then we find ourselves kind of picking bits up again, can't we? Taking control, sorting things out, taking on worries that aren't ours. But God wants us to actually give him our hearts. So I'd like us to use this song to, to really... If you, but I, when I say I want us to use this song, really what I'm saying is, if you agree, it may only be me singing, if you agree and this is what you want to do, I would like you to, to sing it. And uh, I want you to see what we're saying. What we're saying is, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. It's my desire to honour you. All I have within me, I give you praise. Now, actually, not everything that's in me gives praise to him. Not all the time. But Lord, at this moment, at this time, I want everything in me to give you praise. Everything I adore is in you, Lord. Think of the most precious thing in your life. We adore him. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. This is the the walking by the Spirit that God wants us to experience daily.